If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be not angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Man, I hope that you let the word of God uh, hit your heart, like what we just saw. That's what it's supposed to do. It, it talks about the word of God in Psalms being like so powerful that it twists the, the trees of Lebanon. If you're not familiar with the trees of Lebanon, uh, they are really big trees. It's kind of like saying like, it's kind of like saying like they twist the, the sequoias of California. And, and that's what God's word does, is that, um, uh, but you, you can harden your heart you, you, can, um, you can resist. And so it's said of God's word that the same sun that, uh, that, that, that melts the ice hardens the clay. And we just have this opportunity to have our, hard, our hearts hardened or, or, or melted. And let, let, let God's word get in there. Before we get into explaining what that passage is all about, I want to know if you could help me celebrate something. You up for celebrating real quick? Yeah. So one of the things that we, that we want to do is that we want to, we're, we're taking dead aim at, at the next generation. It's a responsibility that every believer has to, to tell the works of God from one generation to an, another. And so the, some great things are happening in youth. In fact, a leader pulled me aside and said, in the last two months, we've baptized five youth. Can we just celebrate like what God's doing? Isn't amazing? And pray for more, and pray for more. Well, um, it is, there is little doubt that we are living in a culture of anger, rage, and bitterness, widespread relational divide. There is an angst behind every conversation just waiting to be unleashed. unleashed. One uh, article in Time Magazine from a couple of years ago, the, the title was, America's Anger is Out of Control. Rage uncorked becomes rage indulged, he said. Rage indulged becomes rage applauded. Once it's applauded, we have permission to crank the machine up to 11. This is, of course, true in the political arena, but it's much, much deeper than that. Now, I don't want you to do this for your health and own sanity, but if you were to Google, um, you know, groups with rage, uh, you would, I mean, it's everyone. In fact, uh, vegans are outraged. There's, there's groups of vegan who are outraged. They're outraged that there are some plant-based restaurants who are eating real meat and they're outraged about it. There are dancers who are outraged. There's a, there's a group of dancers who are outraged that there's one um, commercial out there uh, for clothes that shows a dancer who's actually not a real dancer. Can you believe that there's a mark in advertising? This happened, this never happened before, but 
A marketing company was 100% accurate about what they were, anyway. So like, but dancers are outraged. Gardeners are outraged. Fishermen are outraged. Knitters are outraged. <laughs> Knitters are outraged by being shunned by the U.S. Olympic Committee. And uh, let me tell you something. Knitters, they've got things that can hurt you, all right? So like... <laughs> I read one article, it's, it's, it's Angry Knitters, this is the title, Angry Knitters Invade U.S. Olympic Committee Facebook page. <laughs> Let me tell you something, guys. If we have, if the knitters in our country are full of rage and anger and bitterness, you, we are living in a cultural moment of outrage. So let me just say, so that's, that's where we are right now. We're living in a world where the posture is knowing that we are right and feeling as though we're wronged. Knowing we're right, feeling wrong. Uh, interesting enough, interesting enough, this is one of the signs of the end times. Now, I realize no one talks about the end times in this generation anymore, except when it's talking about climate change. But before you were born, the end times talk was a big deal. Uh, it had to do with horned beast and the European Union and lots and lots and lots of charts. But this is what Jesus actually said about the end times in Matthew 24. It says that many will be offended are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We'll betray one another and we'll hate one another. Offense leads to betrayal, which leads to hate. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. That word love there is agape love, Christian love. That offense leads to betrayal. Betrayal leads to hate. The hate leads to a loss of love. And when love grows cold, we are in a dark deep decline. The spirit of an offense is an end times apocalyptic spirit that we must reject for an alternate way of living. Now, the good news, the good news, if you are a Christian, is that you have been given resources through the cross of Jesus Christ to eliminate this in your own life and offer a better way to live. Um, there's, a, there's a pastor and theologian and author named Diedrich Bonhoeffer who's, who lived during, he's lived in Germany during the Nazi regime. And uh, he died a martyr's death in a concentration camp. Uh, but he was, I mean, his books are intense. I mean, there are times where like, man, like if I ever feel bad, like I, I'm like, man, I think I was a little, a little intense today. I'll go read him. And I'm like, man, I was milk toast. Like he was just, like he just, he's intense. And so he's so intense that his friends, when his books came out, they got really worried. He said, hey, look, I think you're kind of going overboard here a little bit. I mean, the, the way that you're describing the way community should be, the way that you're describing discipleship, he's like, that's a little, that's a little much. And so what he did is he, he got his, his two friends in a boat. They crossed a river. They climbed up a hill. And on top of the hill, you could see the seminary where, where he was training pastors. And then you could see an airport that was uh, Hitler's airport where where there were many more Nazi soldiers joining the Nazi regime. And he said this, he said, this must be stronger than this. This must be stronger than this. We are living in a culture of outrage, anger, and bitterness. And this over here, forgiveness, love must be bigger than this. It must be intense. And so we're gonna be intense today about forgiveness, about killing what's killing you, and it's killing you, and it's killing a lot of people. And that's where Paul goes in Ephesians 4. He spends the first three chapters 
near his best, I think, in terms of describing the Christian life. Uh, some people call Ephesians the Magna Carta of the New Testament. And he talks about how God has, um, how we live in this new state of, of forgiveness, this constant state of forgiveness, that God has fundamentally changed who we are. And you can no longer live the way that you used to live. So the pivot is in Ephesians 4. He pivots from how describing what God has done for us to now describing what we must do. In light of who God has changed, how God has changed us and who he's made us to be, we must be different. You have been completely forgiven so therefore, you must extend that kind of forgiveness to others. So we're gonna take a look at where bitterness comes from and more importantly, how we can get rid of it. And so in verse 26, we get two commands. Be angry, do not sin. Be angry, do not sin. Be angry, yeah, we can be angry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't sin. Okay, so how do you do that? So be, yeah, you've been hurt. Somebody injured you, you've been wounded, you're, you're angry, you're upset. It's, it's okay to feel something. It's not okay to do something. Don't, don't sin. Uh, it's okay to feel angry, but it's not okay to do the things that usually come with, with being angry. Uh, we're, not we're not allowed to allow our anger as a result of our hurt, control what we do, control what we say, control the kind of decisions that we make. I, I don't know about you, but I've allowed my anger to do things that I wish I, I, wish I could go back and unsay some things. I wish I can go back and undo some things. I wish I can go back and undecide some things. I may have been angry. I may have been justified in feeling angry, but I was not justified in what I said. I was not just justified in what I did. I was not justified in decision I made. So I think conceptually, okay, I get it. Like we, it's okay to be angry because in, in some, a lot of ways, angry is tied to, to love. If you're not really angry about anything, you probably don't love anything. So there, there's a sense to which those go together. But, 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 how do you pull off not sinning? Well, it, it tells us. Here, here's, here it is. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. So how do you eliminate the possibility of your anger turning into sin? Now, here's how you do it. You do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, deal with your anger in a timely manner. When, when there's a, a feeling that you've been hurt, the main way that anger becomes sin is when we don't handle it in a timely ma manner. Now, now, some people debate on whether or not Paul's being literal here or figurative. So like, was he literally saying like, you know, you, um, you know, as long as the sun is shining, you can be mad and angry, but when the sun goes down, no, no more, or does he mean it figuratively, like just do it as soon as possible? No, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I think he means it figuratively. Otherwise, there'd be certain times a year in Alaska where you could just be mad for a really long time. It's like, man, and that would just be bad for tourism. I mean, there's like a lot of angry people in Alaska. Like, why are they so, why are they so angry? Well, you know, the sun's up. But it's actually, but also it's not a bad idea to take it literally, I mean, some people, I've heard some people do that. As a married couple, they never let, you know, they just deal with it before they go to bed. I mean, Jesus, after all, in the Sermon on the Mount, said, hey, if you're in a worship service and you're reminded of an offense that you have, like, go deal with it right now. So Paul and Jesus are saying, resolve your anger quickly. Eliminate the possibility that your anger influences your decision, your words, your deeds. Otherwise, it's controlling you. I mean, talk about adding insult to injury. I mean, you were hurt. Somebody did something that hurt you. And, but because you did not resolve it in a timely manner, that hurt 
is now controlling everything you say and everything you do and every decision that you make. And that bitterness is growing and it's hurting you well, well, well beyond the original offense. When you and I let the sun go down in our anger, bitterness gets momentum. And one of the reasons why it gets momentum is that if something happens to me today and I don't deal with it tonight or the next week or the next month or the next year and a year goes by, eventually my scenery changes, my circumstances changes. Maybe I get a new job, maybe I go to a new city, a new uh, uh, neighborhood, a whole new set of relationships. But because I have not resolved the hurt or the anger, guess what, I carry it with me. Now, there's a lot of people who don't believe that. They believe that it's situational. Like, I, that person hurt me, but, I'm, but you, you carry it with you. And consequently, there are a lot of angry people around. And if you were to ask them, why are you so angry? They would actually, they would point to someone in their near vicinity. Even though 10, 15, 20 years ago, it, somebody hurt them when they were in school, when they first got married. And it grew and it grew and it grew. The danger of allowing the sun to set on your anger, of allowing this, uh, is that if the sun sets too many times, we forget the source and we just carry it with us and damage every relationship. And you see, I'm afraid that many of us operate on this idea that if I can just get away, if, if I can just change my environment and with a little bit of time, I'll be okay. Just need to change my environment, I'll be okay. If I can just get out of this job, if I can just get away from this boss, if I can just get out of this relationship, if I can just change my scenery, and if you just give me a little bit of time, I'm gonna be okay. You know what that's like? That's like being in a car accident and being seriously injured. And then when the paramedics show up, say, we gotta get you to the hospital. They're like, just get me away from the scene of the accident and give me a little bit of time and I'll be okay. And the paramedics are like, no, you won't. I'm afraid there's a, there's a lot of really good people who've left the scene of an accident injured. And they just thought a little bit of space, a little bit of time, and it's gonna be okay. But it wasn't, and it's not. That's why you and I cannot afford to let the sun go down on anger. Now, I just wanna speak to a couple of groups of people really quickly. So this applies to all of us. Two groups, I think. If, if you've been recently divorced and you're living under this idea that it was the person I married, it was the relationship that I was in, but now I'm eager to get into another relationship. I just want you to know that you are sadly mistaken. And whatever happened in your past relationship is gonna happen in this relationship because you take your bitterness and your hurt and your unresolved anger with you. And there are statistics that back this up. It's why second marriages have a higher rate of divorce than first marriages. It's why third marriages have a higher rate of divorce than second marriages. It's why fourth marriages have a higher rate. Of, why is that true? Because this is true. Because you let the sun go down on your anger and bitterness grew and you carried that hurt with you. Another group of people I want to speak to that you've left a church. You've left a church because you were hurt. And so you, you went somewhere else and you're here. And uh, it's gonna be amazing because, man, like this is Jubilee is so much better than my other church. And, and uh, it's just gonna like solve all my problems. And man, Jubilee, I just gotta say, Jubilee Church is an amazing church, but we are not that good of a church. 
to deal with your anger and bitterness. It, it's going to happen soon. I don't know when, but it's going to happen soon. Again and again and again and again until you deal with it. And then there's another warning here that, I oh, man, just takes it up a notch. That like, man, I don't even, like, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. It says, it, it says and give no opportunity for the devil. Other translations say, give no place or give no foothold to the devil. It's, it's a military word that means an inhabited place, like a, like a base of operations. So don't give, don't give the devil a, a base of operations where he can begin to launch more attacks upon you and everyone around you. And notice here, it says that he doesn't, this isn't a place, this foothold, this place isn't something that he takes. We just give it to him. This is the Christian who is hurt and angry and says, you know what, I'm gonna hold on to this and I'm gonna share it with some people. I'm gonna make sure everyone knows what, what they did to me. And I don't wanna forgive because after all, that'd be letting them off the hook and that wouldn't be right. And I understand that. I really do understand that. But to choose to hold on to anger is to invite the devil into your life. It's to say, come on, devil. Come on in here. Make, a, make my life a base of operations to do whatever you wanna. Hurt my friends. Hurt me. Just come on in. And the devil's like, I don't mind if I do. And again, notice this is something that the devil doesn't take, we, this isn't spiritual warfare. You see, most of the time when the, when the, when the, when the Bible talks about the devil, you know, it's, it, the devil's a snake, it's crafty, it's crouching, it's sneaking, it's covert. The devil's very covert. The devil knows he's lost something. In fact, the, the, the scriptures say things like this. James says this. He says, resist the devil and he must flee from you. A greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, the devil. And so the devil's like creaching around, like, how do, like, how do I get in there? How do I get in there? How can, how can I get in there? And then all of a sudden he's like, he hears something. He's like, hey, come on in, devil. And he's like, what, are you, are you serious? Like, you'll just let me come in? Like, I don't have to be crafty and sneaky. You'll just let me in? A refusal to forgive your brother is a willingness to co-labor with the devil. A refusal to forgive your brother, sister, friend, whoever, is a willingness, a willingness to co-labor with the devil. You know what he does when he gets in there? You see, one of the things Paul says in his writings to the churches that he led, he said, I don't want you to be unaware of the schemes of the enemy. I don't want you to be unaware of what the enemy does. Because here's what the enemy does. He, he has a job description. This is, what he, this, is what, this is what you're partnering with him to do. When, when, you, when you hold on to that anger, when you hold on to that, this is what happened. This is, this, is this is job description, Revelation 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. This is his job description. The accuser of the brothers the accuser of the brother. So what he does is when, when, you, when you let the sun go down on your anger, that anger becomes bitterness. That bitterness is an invitation to come on in, devil. It's, it's a refusal to 
Forgive your brother leads to a partnership with the devil to do what? To accuse. Bitterness always leads to accusation of other people because you're partnering with the devil. He's the accuser of the brothers, has been thrown down. Here's another word saying, in the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom of God is accepting no applications for those who want to accuse because he's been thrown down. So the, the, the accuser of the brothers, he accuses them day and night before our God. So you, on one hand, you've got the devil who is the accuser of the brothers and Jesus is the advocate. You've got the accuser and you've got the advocate who pleads your case, who is interceding for you. And I know you've been hurt. I know you have pain. I know some things. Man, I know you're... I know you're but you got, when you're in this, well, he did this and she did this and you've got your list, you have to ask yourself, you must ask yourself, where does that come from? Where do my accusations come from? If Paul, if, if, this, if the scripture is right, and it's right, unresolved anger in a timely manner leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to accusation because you have partnered with the devil. You've invited him to have a base of operations in your life. And he accuses, he wants to accuse day and night, day and night, day and night, and day and night. Jesus advocates for you. The devil accuses you. Jesus, who is your advocate, who pleads your case, wants to deposit that same spirit in you today. This cycle of bitterness, this thing that's been going on in your life over and over. You ever wonder why so many people hurt you? It's because you were hurt and you got angry and you never resolved it. But that can end today. It can end today. I know it's like a good friend to you now because you've been, you've been with it for 10, 15, 20 years. But it can end today. You can kill what's killing you today. It's enslaving you. It dictates everything. It makes you need something from other people in order to be vindicated. In the early 80s, a court settlement made national news after a 17-year-old boy hit and killed Susan Herzog in a drunk driving accident. The family of the, the victims of the the victim's family sued the boy for $1.5 million, but settled on $936, which is an odd amount. But the settlement was to be paid back $1 each Friday for 936 weeks, representing the 18-year lifespan of their daughter. If Kevin ever forgot, they took him back to court, which he did several times. Because, you know, he had to like write, I mean, he had to actually write a check and a letter. And he didn't have Venmo or like whatever, auto pay. Like he had to do some stuff and he would forget. And he's like, look, I, 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 I'm sorry. Like I'll pay it and I'll pay more than that. Like, that's not what we want. We want every Friday for you to have a reminder of what you did to our daughter. You know what happened at, after the final payment? They still didn't have their daughter. They had no peace but they still have their bitterness. And we can be like this. Every time I see you, you're gonna make a payment to me and it's gonna end when I say it ends. I want you to remember how you've wronged me. 
We can live in a spite house. You know the spite, I didn't even know, maybe you knew this. There, there are people who build houses purely out of spite. Did you know that? I, I just, I, I'll show you one. Here's the first one. This is in Boston. This is, this is, so this is an alley and there's a house that someone built there. And this was, these were two brothers in the 1800s and this one got the inheritance and this one didn't. Well, this brother knew that this brother loved to sit and drink his coffee in the morning and have the sun shine into his window. So out of spite, he built that house so that couldn't happen anymore. It's a spite house. Here's another one. This is in, this is in Seattle. 19, this is the very first tiny house. Some of you guys want tiny houses. They, they come from spite. They come from bitterness. <laughs> And then you get in them and you even get more angry. And it's like, it just, here's the most famous spy house of all. This is, this is, um, no one lives there. No one ever did live here. You know why? Because this was a husband and wife in a, in a divorce settlement. The, the husband was ordered to buy the, uh, the, the wife house of her choosing, however she wanted designed. But the lawyer or the judge, whoever, failed to specify where. So it, he built it in a desert of salt where nothing lives. Spy house. And many of us are like that. We, we live in this. We think like, I'll show them. And we live in a house of spite. It becomes a memorial of our offense. Proverbs 18 says this. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. The more sunsets that come and go, the more unyielding you become. And you're hurting yourself. And you're mainly hurting yourself. I've heard, you've, you've probably heard this before, but they, they've said bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You hurt yourself. What do you hurt? Well, you hurt intimacy with God. Jesus says this in Matthew 6. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So here's this picture of the Christian. The Christian the, operation, the, the operating system of a Christian is forgiveness. They wake up every day, for, I forgive. I, I don't know what's gonna happen to me today. I don't know what they're gonna say. I don't know how I'm gonna be treated, but I am choosing to forgive. I'm gonna live in that place of forgiveness because I live in that place of forgiveness. He has forgiven me of my past, my present, and my future. I am going to forgive others of their past, their present, and their future. I'm gonna live there. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I just want you to notice as a side note, the connection once again to a lack of forgiveness and the evil one's influence in your life. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly father will not forgive your sins. So that's not talking about salvation per se. That's talking about intimacy and relationship. It, it hinders intimacy with God. It also hinders faith. This is what he, uh, Jesus says in Mark 11. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for you. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand up praying, forgive. So you're, you're, you've got some things in your life that you want God to break through and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying. And Jesus is saying, I want you to pray that way. If you believe in your heart, you will have it. And when you get in that mode, you forgive. What do I forgive? You forgive anything. Well, who do I forgive? You forgive anyone. Anything against anyone so that your heavenly father who also is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. So you're like believing God for breakthrough. 
but your lack of forgiveness is hindering your faith. So it hurts us, but also hurts community. You know, in the 1960s, they gave individual warnings about the dangers of smoking. And then in the 1980s, they they finally gave a public warning, secondhand smoke. And then eventually there became a public ban of smoking. And so you've got secondhand smoking. And the reason why it it went from the individual to the corporate to the warning to the corporate ban is because it has such devastating effects. I mean, 480,000 people die today because of smoking themselves or they've died from secondhand smoke. Well, there, there is secondhand bitterness. You're hurting yourself, but you hurt everyone around you. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We don't want anyone here to fail to obtain the grace of God. We want you to enjoy the grace of God. We want you to experience it, to know it, not just up here, but in your heart. We want you to, we don't want anyone to fail the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up. Here's this, what does it do? It causes trouble. And many, many become defiled. Many become defiled. So it hurts us, it hurts community, but that's not all, it hurts God. See, that's where Paul goes next. In verse 30, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That word grieve means to injure or wound. That we injure or wound the Holy Spirit of God every time, every time we hold on to our anger, every time we we stay in bitters, every time we lash out at other people, we wound the Holy Spirit of God. So I don't know if you know this or not, but when you became a Christian, when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God took residence in your life the moment you became a Christian. Isn't that great news? But here's some more good news. He will never, 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 ever, ever, ever leave you. Ever. And that's more good news, right? Like that's a promise. Will God break a promise? No, he will not. So here's the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you are lashing out at your brother. You are lashing out at your sister, wounding the Holy Spirit. And where can he go? He has nowhere to go. He is with you forever as you wound again and again and again and again. So what do you do? You gotta get rid of it. Get rid of it all. Get rid of the bitterness. Get rid of the wrath, this settled indignation. Get rid of the bitterness, this negative track that's just running in your head. She's not the way she's supposed to be. He's not the way he's supposed to be. Get rid of the anger, the outburst, the slam door, the clamor, that the noise of relational strife. Clamor is, I will, <laughs> you must hold still while I tell you how I really feel. Slander, just letting other people know. You've been hurt, malice. Eliminate, get rid of that and do what? Well, be kind. What? We gotta be kidding, be kind of, be kind to who? Be kind to the person who injured you. Be kind to the person that you that you're bitter toward. Send them a note. Buy her flowers. Be kind to them. Be kind to them. But if I do that, won't I belittling what they've done to me? You will not be belittling it. You'll be forgiving it. And there's a difference. Well, how can I do that? Well, because Jesus has forgiven you. That's the key. I don't have to minimize what they, you don't have to minimize what they owe you, but you can forgive realizing the debt that you've owed him. Not by dismissing the sin, 
but forgiving it, forgiving it the way God has forgiven you. See, when God forgave you, he didn't sweep sin under the rug. He went to the cross and he paid the price. And when you forgive, you're saying, I'll pay the price. Well, how could I ever do that? Well, you cannot do it by willpower. You cannot, you cannot do it by like, well, I'll be bigger than that. You're not bigger than that, but he is bigger than that. And it's his power through you. This might help you. Some people say, well, God forgets sin. God forgets nothing. It's not like, where'd I, where'd it go? Like, I, I can't remember. Like, well, you said as far as the east is from the west, he will remove your sin. Yeah, but it's still somewhere. He can go get it if he wants to. People misquote this verse all the time. God forgets nothing. He does something better. He chooses not to remember. He chooses not to remember. That is better than, for, he, he doesn't forget anything. So here's what, you can do that. I can't forget. I'm supposed to forget. I can't forget. You don't have to, you don't have to forget. You can choose not to remember. You can wake up every day and say, I'm not gonna think about that anymore. I'm, that, that's, I'm, I'm gonna forgive them of that sin. So you make the decision to forgive. You be kind to the person, but also tender hearted, which means that you, um, you have the, tender hearted means a readiness to feel the pain of another person. You have, it represents an open spirit versus a closed spirit. One of the ways that we protect ourselves when we've been hurt is we close our heart to those people. You're dead to me. Nothing you say touches me. Nothing you do touches me. We close our heart to that person. You're only walking in forgiveness when you open them back up again, when you open your heart back up to them. When you, when you no longer wish them evil. Now, I'm not talking about reconciliation. I'm there, I, I've been a, a, a pastor or just a human long enough to know that people do some really terrible things. And you, have, you, have, you may be the victim of horrible abuse. Tenderhearted does not mean that you um, bring them back into your life necessarily. So I just wanna be clear there for a second. There, there are those, you know, you don't, we forgive sin, we don't enable sin. But it, 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 it's your heart posture. It's, it's a decision that you make. So what does that look like? Four things, four R's, and then we'll close. Number one, recognize the way that you've been wronged. I know that seems like going backwards. Like, wait, I thought you said forget. Okay, we get to do this well. You have to recognize what they, you have to recognize the way that you have been wronged. So don't, and, and in doing that, don't be petty, but be specific and honest. Be specific and honest. And here's something that'll happen, maybe, is that, it's not like, well, what, what did they do? Well, they're just a liar. They just hurt me. Okay. Give me an example of that. And I'm not saying this is your case, but I'm, I'm not kidding you. 80% of the time, when I ask people a question, when they say that person's this way and that person's that way, when they use generalization, like caricatures, like, like you know, you, you, you see those cartoons where, you know, like if you've got a, if your ears are just slightly bigger proportionally, like, all you can see is the big ears. That's what, that's what you do when a root of bitterness gets, is you just, you just say, they're this way. Well, give me an example of that. I'm telling you, when I've asked that question in counseling appointments, 80% of the time, they cannot give a specific thing. How could that be? Sun goes down, unresolved hurt, something way in the past, co-laboring with the devil, accused. Well, that person's that way, that person's that way, that person's that way, that person's that way. Well, what would they do? Hmm, I don't know. 
Well, there, there's, you may just be like, oh gosh, what have I, what have I done? But let's just say that you, there is something they've done. Be specific about it. Be very specific. This is what it is. Second thing you need to do is you need to remember. Remember what? Remember what God has done for you. Not as the victim of an offense, but the perpetrator of an offense. Remember, remember what God has forgiven you of. And then, then you may think about how you've treated other people. Most of the time, when you're in a place of unforgiveness, unforgiveness forces you to make the, the hurdle for other people higher and higher and your hurt, hurdle lower and lower. In other words, Tim Keller says this. Tim Keller says, unforgiveness is a failure to put yourself in the community of offenders and a failure to put your offender in the community of humans. So you can fail, but they cannot. So remembering what God has done, remembering what you are. And then there's the third one, release them. Just release them from it. This is where you need God's power. In fact, you may need faith. You may have say, you, you know, people have wronged me. They have sinned against me. And now in Jesus' name, by faith, I release you from this. I've known people who've written stuff on notes, tied it to a rock and like thrown it into the Mississippi or some other river just because they need something to like, I've got, this is so emotional for me. And you may need to do that, but to release them by faith, tapping into God's power. And then the fourth thing that you need to do is resolve. Resolve to maintain that position. Like it's gonna come up. You're gonna forgive them today. It's gonna come up tomorrow. Oh, I remember that in the shower. Like I just started re rehearsing what they did, rehearsing what they did. And those feelings come back up. Those hey, it's all right. Just confess it. God, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just, I thought of it again. I wanna resolve. I wanna maintain. I forgive them. I just, I just stay there. Resolve to stay there. Um, one of my favorite communities of people ever, besides you guys, of course, is the Moravians. And they just like took the gospel all over the world. And I mean, north, south, east, west, sold themselves into slavery. I mean, just phenomenal, phenomenal people. And they were, uh, they were up in Alaska reaching the, the Eskimos and they could not come up with a word for forgiveness. And then finally one day they came up with a word and I, this is the word, I'm, I'm, this isn't a joke. Here's the word. Isama Jiko Jojan Nair Er Mick. Nailed it. Like, I just, like, that was it. That's exactly how it's pronounced. And um, this is what that word means. This word means not being able to think about it anymore. That's the Eskimo word for forgiveness, if you're ever up there. Is I'm not able, that's what it means, not able to think about it anymore. It's choosing not to remember. That's what it is. I release you. You did this. But in light of what God's done for me, I mean, I can't even, how could I, this is, can never hold that against you. God didn't hold, God didn't hold what I did against me. I can never hold this against you. I release you. You don't owe me anything. I'll pay the price. And then you resolve, you resolve, you resolve to maintain that position. And here's what I'd love to do today. I would love to, I would love for you, I'd love for us to do some business with God. Say, God, like, man, this, is, this may be the scariest thing you've ever done because it's become, like I said this earlier, I think, it's become like a friend to you. It's become like a, 
a pet, like a something like you just hold on to and to actually let it go, even though you want to get rid of it because it's ruining everything. You wonder why everyone always hurts you. It's because you've, you've held on to this offense and you keep getting bitter and bitter and bitter and bitter and now everyone hurts you. And you want to get rid of it, but at the same time, you kind of don't. It's become a part of you. But today you can leave. Today you may have come in with a wound, but you can leave here with a scar and there's a big difference. See, a couple years ago, see, I played basketball on Saturday mornings and I've got this scar right here. You probably can't see it. And I was playing basketball and a guy on my own team, like he's 250 pounds and he just like, he doesn't do anything but like just hurt people. And he, uh, <laughs> he's, got no sk- he's got no skills. Um, and he, uh, but he like elbowed me right in the forehead. I mean, like knocked me out, like blood everywhere. I had to go get stitches and I have a scar. And so I see him on Saturdays. Remember that time you like knocked me out? Isn't that hilarious? And so we have fun. It's just like a, it's just like a story. It's a, it's a wound. It, 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 I can tell a story now about it, but it, I'm not, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't, we don't talk about it in that way. And you may have a wound. A wound is something that you talk about that's constantly hurting you, but you can leave here with a scar, which can become a, more, a memorial of the grace of God in your life. See, when Jesus got off the cross, he, had, he still had his scars. He didn't have his wounds, but he had his scars. He carries them right now. And those scars, those scars are a memorial to the grace of, to his grace in your life of the forgiveness that he's had toward you. And you could walk out of here with those memorial of grace. So you can look and say, you remember right here, like you could show this to the world. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, that one time, man, somebody really hurt me. But look what God did to it. It's not a wound, it's a scar. Over here, man, this person really did. I mean, you wouldn't believe what they did. But gosh, man, God, he healed it. I don't, it's no big, we're best friends now. Look at the grace of God. It could be a light to a culture filled with anger and rage and bitterness and a relational divide. Why don't we stand?